From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Welcome to the wonderful world of amateur radio and welcome to WIA National News for week commencing September 21. In the wonderful world of amateur radio, it's always good to get something new happening. And in Melbourne, the Melbourne Amateur Radio Technology Group are doing just that by holding their very first ham fest, and it's next Sunday, Sunday, September 28. Located just 15 minutes from the Melbourne CBD, the Hamfest will be held at the IKCA Social Club Rooms, corner of Malira Road and Kyla Park Drive. That's at East Keelor, just off the Western Ring Road. Plenty of parking is available, so go along and grab that bargain radio you've been looking for. And there will be door prizes every hour. For bookings and details, read the text edition of this week's WIA National News for all the details and all URLs mentioned in today's program. To commemorate Anzac 100, a series of articles is appearing in Amateur Radio magazine by WIA historian Peter Wolfenden, VK3RV. And here's a summary of just another one of them. Arnold Holst, XPH and later VK3OH, was but one radio amateur who served with the AIF in signals during World War I. His story provides some background to the Anzac Wireless Squadron. During December 1915, urgent requests were received from India for assistance to the expeditionary D-Force at Mesopotamia in the Persian Gulf. Both Australian and New Zealand responded with the first pack wireless signal troop from Australia followed by a troop from New Zealand. A further increase in wireless capability resulted in the first Australian wireless signal squadron being formed and arriving in July 1916 with advanced wireless taking effective charge. It was known as the first Australian and New Zealand signal squadron. Arnold Hulse was first licensed in 1914 as XPH and enrolled in the AIF in January 1916 as an electrician. By February that year, he joined the 1st Australian Wireless Squadron at Broadmeadows using Marconi Company equipment. Then he left for Mesopotamia in May of 1916. Both Australian and New Zealand troops were soon known simply as the Anzac Wireless. Many were railway and post office telegraphists. Together with a fair sprinkling of amateur operators, they had gruelling conditions in the Basra and Baghdad areas. Rains, mud, humidity, mosquitoes, sandflies, scorpions, prickly heat and heat stroke by day, and by night, frostbite. However, the wireless squadron did their job well. The London Gazette reported on the 27th of August 1918 the conspicuous services of Acting Sergeant A. Holst. Other dispatches included his distinguished and gallant services and devotion to duty. In the late 1920s and 30s, Arnold, with his brother Otto, were well-known amateur broadcasters through the station 3BY. He also installed and operated the Melbourne Town Hall public address system. Arnold, a gentleman amateur operator, artist and distinguished World War I veteran. Are you an amateur radio user or user? Whether it be the WIA, your local club, show your support in a tangible way. Support the providers you utilise. This is Roger Harrison, VK2ZRH, Director on the WIA Board. The regulation that governs amateur radio in Australia, known as the Licence Conditions Determination, or LCD, will expire on the 1st of October next year. 
The Australian Communications and Media Authority, the ACMA, has to remake the LCD so that regulation of the amateur service continues after that date. This offers the WIA and the Australian amateur community an opportunity to rethink how best to regulate the amateur service now and for the future. The LCD sets out how the three licence grades operate, their frequency bands, the transmission modes that may be used, and maximum permitted powers. The WIA Board has identified a raft of issues for evaluation and invites all current and prospective amateurs to have input on any related matter before a final submission, or series of submissions, is prepared by the Board. The WIA sees the need to better align the LCD with the regulations prevailing in other countries, particularly for foundation and standard licensees, and license conditions set to enable Australian amateurs to adapt to emerging technologies. A new LCD should reduce unnecessary regulatory burdens on both amateurs and the ACMA. A major issue raised by the Board is that the remade amateur LCD must include direct reference to the electromagnetic emissions, or EME, requirements all amateurs must meet, so that every amateur is made aware of their compliance obligations. Another key issue identified by the WIA Board is to have a new LCD allow greater flexibility to experiment with amateur radio to remain a self-regulating service with no reduction or downgrading from the current apparatus licence principles. In summary, for the advanced licence, the WIA advocates a relaxation of permitted bandwidths and, in line with greater awareness and compliance with the EME requirements, a power limit of up to 1,000 watts without having a separate permit. In addition, a variety of new frequency band allocations are also to be sought. For the standard licence, the WIA advocates a relaxation of bandwidths to allow wideband digital and image modes, up to 200 watts output and an increase in the number of permitted bands particularly the lower part of 6 metres at 50 to 52 megs. This latter was pursued with the ACMA some years ago. For the entry-level foundation licence, the WIA will seek the addition of digital modes, the use of commercial DIY transmitter kits, permission for the use of converted non-amateur transceivers to handbands, an increase of power level to 25 watts, and conditions to enable unattended operation and remote control. This style of operation is permitted in other countries, the UK for example. For more details on this important development, please see the WIA website, www.wia.org.au, under the News and Events tab. There you will find an article entitled Remake of the Amateur LCD, which includes a letter sent recently to the ACMA. This is Roger Harrison, VK2ZRH, for VK1WIA News, with thanks to Jim Linton, VK3PC. What use is an F-call? I've been participating in contests for a little while now, both as part of a club, using a club station and equipment, and under my own call sign using my own radio. When I did my first contest as VKA6FLAB with 5 watts, 
it was to see what effect it would have on my experience. That was over a year ago, and during that contest I made many contacts and had lots of fun. I must confess that in the back of my mind it niggled a little that many of those contacts were on UHF and VHF, rather than on HF. Recently, I did another contest using only 5 watts. This time, all my contacts were on HF only. I was on air for about 7 hours and made 39 contacts with 29 stations around the globe. I didn't quite make it halfway around the planet, but 16,700 kilometres goes a long way. For my contact, it was from Perth to Austin, Texas, about the same distance as between London and Sydney. It didn't sink in until recently that this means that with my radio using 5 watts, I could talk to most of the world with a little patience. Very humbling and very exciting. So next time you wonder if your F-call is enough to get anywhere, you know. It is. In case you're wondering, my first 5-watt contest was the 2012 RD contest. My first HF-only 5-watt contest was the 2013 Oceania DX contest. 5 watts, what a blast. I'm Ono, Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot, Lima, Alpha, Bravo. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. With international news, I'm Jason, VK2LAW. South African 5 MHz activity weekend being held this weekend, 20 and 21st of September. South African Radio League members are taking part in 5 MHz activity dedicated to propagation research. The activity comprises of various activities during designated time slots. Not only is the activity open to all South African Radio League members, but to all radio amateurs living permanently outside the borders of South Africa. More details are available on the South African Radio League web. India seeks relaxation of red tape provisions. The world looks on developments in India with a new leadership promising a breath of fresh air throughout the administration to fix a stalling economy and stimulate business. With a new government in place, the Amateur Radio Society of India, ARSI, the IARU member society, has renewed its efforts to remove the old British colonial-style excessive red tape around amateur radio. ARSI President Gopal Madhavan, Victor Uniform 2 Golf Mike November, has long seen some very archaic rules and long-standing issues that restrict the activity and obtaining a licence. The concerns of ARSI have been outlined in a letter to Ravi Shankar Prasad, Minister of Communications, Information Technology, Law and Justice. Gopal VU2GMN wrote, In India we are hampered by some very archaic rules, which were possibly formulated during the British Times when everything was done to restrict radio licences being given to Indians. The most restrictive and time-consuming aspect is the security clearance that is being done before a licence is granted, and in most cases this takes months or even years, and often the paperwork is totally lost in transit between the various agencies. Many times in the past the ARSI has told authorities that no terrorist is likely to go through the learning and licensing process to obtain an amateur radio licence when they can operate clandestinely with off-the-shelf equipment. Every country has security concerns, but a pre-licensed security check is only done in India. 
He had immediately sought an easing of issuing a new licence and whatever action is needed to help grow the amateur radio population of 15,000 in a country of more than 1.2 billion people. Auction of AM and FM radio licences to take place in November 2014. NZ's Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, MBIE, has announced further details for the sale of AM and FM licences. The licences will be sold via online auctions. The auction will run on both the Turner's website and Trade Me. It will start on the 27th of November 2014 and run seven days until the 3rd of December. The auction is for commercial licences, including some licences previously allocated on a temporary basis. Existing holders of temporary licences will be able to continue to broadcast until the auction process has been completed. The tenure for the licences is until the 2nd of April 2031, subject to licensees meeting implementation requirements. Greek archaeologists have set out to use a revolutionary new deep-sea diving suit to explore an ancient shipwreck where one of the most remarkable scientific objects of antiquity was found. The so-called Antikythera mechanism, a 2nd century BC device known as the world's oldest computer, was discovered by sponge divers off a remote Greek island in the Aegean. The highly complex mechanism of up to 40 bronze cogs and gears was used by the ancient Greeks to track the cycles of the solar system. It took another 1,500 years for an astrological clock of similar sophistication to be made in Europe. Now archaeologists returning to the wreck will be able to use a new diving suit which will allow them to more than double the depth they can dive at and stay safely at the bottom for longer. Last year, the Voyager 1 mission control team announced that the spacecraft had reached interstellar space, but many in the academic community remained sceptical. Now, to researchers working with the spacecraft are looking to put any doubt to rest with a new test designed to show conclusively whether or not Voyager 1 has made it into interstellar space. Amateur Radio Newsline's Stephen Kinford, NAWB, has the details. According to the Space Reporter, the test will determine whether the spacecraft is inside or outside the heliosphere. That's a so-called bubble of solar particles and magnetic fields that the sun creates around itself. The researchers who developed the test believe that Voyager 1 will cross out of its current layer of the heliosphere within the next year or two. When that occurs, astrophysicists expect to see a reversal in the magnetic field around the spacecraft. The lack of a reversal should show that Voyager 1 is still inside the heliosphere. That said, other information already in the hands of researchers points to the fact that Voyager 1 has already left the heliosphere. After gathering data from a solar eruption that took particles around the probe, scientists determined that the density of the spacecraft's surroundings was much higher than the figures taken in earlier measurements when Voyager 1 had yet to cross into interstellar space. It currently takes radio signals from Voyager 1 over 17 hours to reach Earth. For the Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Stephen Kinford in AWB Reporting. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were both launched in 1977. Believe it or not, this story from our weird and wonderful file. In our weird and wonderful or amazing but true files this week, connecting across cultural lines with Amateur Radio. Radio station WYSO in the USA have interviewed Bob Moore, K8EJM, about discrimination in amateur radio in the last century. 
Bob discusses the O-Mike Amateur Radio Association and says that back then, one of the advantages in operating CW was that nobody knew what colour you were. You can't be discriminated against it if you're sending code because nobody knows. Amazing, I know, and it just goes to show, thankfully, just how far we've come. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet, streaming and text at wia.org.au. Operational news on Felix VK4FUQ, Dateline 2014. This weekend, the Manly Radio Society's flagpole contest, September 20. Next weekend from the 28th, it's the Amateur Radio's International Air Ambulance Week. Nine days from September 28. Oceania DX Contest phone, 0800 hours UTC Saturday, 4th of October. 20800 hours UTC Sunday, October 5. Oceania DX Contest CW, 0800 hours UTC, Saturday 11th October, to 0800 hours UTC, Sunday October 12. Hi, this is Leslie, VK5LOL, the Alara Contest Manager. This is a reminder to email or post your Alara Contest logs to me before the closing date, Tuesday the 30th of September. Unfortunately, the contest results won't be available until November. 73's Leslie VK5 LOL. Special event stations DX Beacon Repeater and Net Advice. Rolls Royce Special Event. On the 11th and 12th of October for 48 hours, the Hucknall Rolls Royce Amateur Radio Club are running a special event station, GB1RR, celebrating the centenary of the Eagle Aero Engine. SSP PSK31 on HF from 160 metres to 10 metres. YO2MSB is active stroke 3A from Monte Carlo, Monaco, between September the 5th and the 12th. QSL via the Bureau or electronically using eQSL. Special event station E72NATO is active until the end of 2014 to commemorate the cooperation of NATO and Bosnia-Herzegovina that was established in 2006. QSL via E73Y. LI for LA and LJ for LB. Celebrates 200 years of the Norwegian Constitution during 2014. In addition, Special Event Station LM1814 will be active as part of the celebration. Nauru, September 29 to October 19. LZ1GC is planning to be operational at C21GC from the Republic of Nauru between September 29th and October 19th on 160 through 10 metres using CWSSB and Sumriti. E6XG. JA1XGI has announced it is the next operationally from Newey between December the 1st and the 6th and is expected to be issued with the call sign E6XG. Activity will be on 160 through 10 metres. CWSSB and some digital. QSL Vora's home call sign JA1XGI, either direct or via the Bureau. HS50RAST, special event call sign. Radio Amateur Society of Thailand, RAST, have been issued with the special callsign HS50RAST, which celebrates the 50th anniversary of RAST and can be used until the end of 2014. This is Roger Harrison, VK2ZRH, 
with news on a new WIA initiative. Grants are available to upgrade VK beacons on the bands 2 metres and up by implementing GPS locking of their frequency. The WIA and Alan Devlin, VK3XPD, have joined in a collaborative arrangement under the new WIA grant scheme to provide beacon owners with a funding of up to $200 per beacon or beacon group to upgrade their beacons with GPS frequency locking. Anyone who's been around the VHF-UHF bands for a few years understands the purpose of beacons. The original concept was to provide a propagation indicator to distant stations. Once they became established, operators within a beacon's local area used them as a reference signal. Is my gear working? Ah, there's the beacon. Searching for a distant beacon that may be a weak signal is frustrating if it's not on its nominated frequency or very close to it. Most VK beacons derive their output frequency from a crystal oscillator and multiplier chain or from a phase-locked loop system locked to a crystal oscillator. These schemes inevitably have an issue with drift and therefore accuracy. The problem gets progressively worse the higher the output frequency. It becomes critical on the microwave bands. The development of weak signal digital transmission modes that necessitate high frequency stability and transceivers has motivated many amateurs to install GPS locking of their rigs, leveraging the high frequency accuracy and stability of the GPS satellite technology. Alan Devlin, VK3XPD, saw that this development necessitated improving the VK beacon network so that their functionality matched what beacon users were doing. Alan put a proposal to the WIA to encourage beacon owners to implement GPS locking, which was accepted earlier in 2014 by the WIA board. A total of up to $5,000 is available. $2,500 each from the WIA and VK3XPD for the exclusive purpose of funding GPS locking upgrades for VK beacons operating on bands from 144 megs up. Beacon owners Australia-wide are encouraged to apply, and the sooner the better. This is available to all comers, individuals, clubs and groups, members and non-members, WIA affiliated or not. The initiative ends on the 1st of June 2015. GPS-locked beacons better serve their function as a propagation indicator because you know exactly what frequency it will be on. But they also provide local amateurs with a highly accurate frequency reference. The terms and conditions of the grant scheme are set out in Alan VK3XPD's article published in the August issue of Amateur Radio magazine. A copy of his article is now available on the WIA website at www.wia.org.au So, how's progress? Up to mid-September, applications have been received from beacon owners in VK3, VK4, VK5 and VK7, which cover some 15 beacons in total on 2 metres, 70 centimetres, 23 centimetres, 13 centimetres and up. Keep those applications coming. This is Roger Harrison, VK2ZRH, for VK1WIA News.
Across Australia from VK1WIA, you're tuned to the WIA National News Service. In the Lake Macquarie region, it can be heard on the 146.475 MHz IRLP and Echolink node at midday and 9pm Sundays. I'm John, VK2JJW. Good morning, this is Robert, VK3DN, with this week's Worldwide Special Interest Group news. Worldwide Special Interest Group's ARDF and the 17th World ARDF Championships. Yes, the 17th World ARDF Championships was organised by the Kazakhstan Society, KFRRR, and yes, your WIA teams were involved. It's the first time that any championship was organised in this area of Region 1. 250 competitors plus 150 visitors were part of this major event. 24 societies from four continents were represented. The championships took place some 250 kilometres from the capital, Astana. It's a beautiful terrain for the eyes, lakes, rocks and a bit a little bit difficult for running. It was obviously not a problem for the sports people from Russia, Ukraine and the Czech Republic. Traditionally, they took almost all the medals, leaving just a few for the rest. In yes, VK3's Triple W, VT, OW and FJTE were there at the event. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Final Frontier. Send your message from the moon. The Lux Space 4M amateur radio payload is expected to fly around the moon at the end of October and you can upload a message to the 4M website that will be transmitted on 145.980 MHz using JT65B during that flight. There is room for 2,500 messages, each up to 13 characters long. Your message could be your name, call sign, and 73DM5AKA. During the lunar flyby, the spacecraft will be about 399,636 kilometres from the Earth. The Lux Space team wish to encourage radio amateurs around the world to receive transmissions and send in data. There will be a number of experiments and contests with prizes for the winners of each experiment in category. Details are given on page 19 of 4 Mission, a lunar flyby experiment. 4M stands for Manfred Memorial Moon Mission, in memory of Professor Manfred Fuchs, founder and chairman of the OHB group Bremen, who passed away on April 27, 2014. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Radio Amity Young Timers. A youth net meets Saturdays at 0100 hours UTC on IRLP Reflector 2. And the Young Hams Net, 3.59 MHz, 7.30pm Victorian time. Mitchell ZS6YH has been selected as the first recipient of the Region 1 Outstanding Ham Youth Award. The Region 1 Outstanding Ham Youth Award 2013 was presented to Mitchell ZS6YH at the Radio Technology in Action Symposium held at the Innovation Hub Pretoria by Dennis ZS4BS, the Region 1 Secretary. Well done to Mitchell. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Rescue Radio. Typhoon hits Central Philippines. At least 70 people are missing after Malika 2 experienced steering trouble and sank off central Philippines during the approach of fast-moving Typhoon Kalmiga. Jim Linton, VK3PC, chairman of IIRU Region 3 Disaster Communications Committee, said that due to the typhoon, the Philippines Amateur Radio Association has activated its HERO network for emergency traffic and coordination. 
Para has requested that 7.095 plus or minus 5 kilohertz be kept clear. The National Disaster Link Reduction and Management Council has asked all in its path to take the necessary precautions. The typhoon over the Cagayan and Isabella provinces was bringing with it winds of up to 130 kilometres an hour and gusts of 160 kilometres an hour on Sunday and expected to move northeast, reaching the South China Sea. Well, that's all I have for you this week. This has been Robert VK3DN reporting from Melbourne. You've guessed it. This is the end of WIA National News for week commencing the 21st of September. On the social scene, still to come in September, September 28 in VK3 and VK4. VK4 is the Central Highlands Amateur Radio Club's weekend at Camp Fairburn. And in VK3, as we told you at the top of the news, it's the Melbourne Amateur Radio Technology Group's Hamfest at Keylaw East. Now, in the final final, Saturday, September 13, did you make an audio recording for WIA News? A file date-stamped as being recorded at 11.30 was posted twice to our upload area, at 11 and then at 12 past midday. But not only were both files of zero length, there was no description or person's call sign attached to the file nor any email, so we could not chase you up to let you know you had failed in the upload. So if you did not hear an item you thought you had sent us for this week, that could be the very reason. Till next we meet, I'm Graham, VK4BB. Walk softly. From Australia, this has been VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.